Well, good morning and uh, welcome back. It's good to see everybody inside uh, this Sunday. Uh, we're so glad you've made it today and we're so glad we have uh, power and light today. Um, after uh, last week's power outage, I do need to update you on several different things this morning before we get into our study of God's Word. And the first thing is uh, some really uh, great news. Uh, PG&E came out on Monday and they replaced our transformer that uh, went out with a unit. Turns out that's nearly twice the uh, amperage of our old unit. And this means potentially we, we could save tens of thousands of dollars when we uh, build the new auditorium. We may not have to install at the same level uh, that we thought. So that's uh, praise God. Uh, along with that, we are just about uh, completed on our, our new septic field. Uh, you've seen that out there, and we had some issues, which is why we had to kind of move that part of the next-gen process up here. So put those things together, and I can tell you that next-gen is moving along, uh, if you get my drift, um, though not exactly in the way that we anticipated. Um, as I've mentioned actually earlier on a few occasions, we've had some next-gen issues that we have been working through with the city and the county for about six months. And uh, I just want to thank uh, publicly one of our elders, Brent Ives, for doing some very strategic work uh, kind of behind the scenes that's literally helped us save hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I just want to encourage you uh, who know him to make sure that you're grateful for what he has done. He probably doesn't want me to say that, but I'm up here and he's not, so too bad. Um, we are very, very grateful in that regard. Um, as part of this delay, and I won't explain all the details, it's transpired that we're going to need uh, to secure a new general contractor. And uh, we are on that. We've been on that. It should happen very, very soon. And it's going to keep us on target uh, for the new groundbreaking date, which we've had for a while, which is in December. In fact, uh, you can mark it on your calendars. Uh, we're planning to break ground on December 3rd, first Sunday uh, of December, and we do lots of stuff every year on that Sunday, first Sunday of that month. So you'll be hearing more details about it uh, very soon, uh, but it's about to get real exciting around here, and I hope you're excited about it. Uh, maybe you've already looked at your updated next-gen statements, which went out in the mail this week. If you got those, and if you read the letter that came with them, you may have already seen that we're almost to uh, $1.2 million in next-gen giving, and we're praising God for that. And I want to say thank you, uh, all of you who have given. Uh, while we're on the subject of giving, uh, that power outage that we experienced last week led to a pretty precipitous drop in our offerings last week. And so I just want to let you know, it'd really be helpful, given everywhere we are, if you weren't able to give, you weren't able to come, whatever, um, if you would uh, just kind of catch up this week and the next so we can... Uh, take care of the, the challenges that are, we're having right now, the things that we're facing, the things we just need to do as a matter of course. And then the final thing that I, I want to mention before we uh, get into our study is really something that's on every one of our minds, and that is the, the terrible fires that we are experiencing in Northern California. Uh, several weeks ago, the Southwinds family, that's you guys, uh, gave generously thousands of dollars uh, to hurricane disaster relief. And uh, we have since then been working on uh, plans to send a team from Southwinds to serve in the recovery efforts in the Houston area. Uh, we've been working on that. Some plans have, have started to come together, but we have decided now that we want to focus 
our, our further disaster relief efforts closer to home with, with what is going on, you know, in our uh, area of, of our state. And uh, it, it might be good for some of you to know, if you don't already, that, that, that people and resources that we as a church already directly support with our missions giving, this is just something that happens as a matter of course, week in and week out. Uh, people and resources are already on site serving, ministering, helping in so many different ways. This is true for Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, and, and it's true also for the fires uh, in Northern California. But once the fires are out, uh, and we pray that this will be soon, it, that's when the work of rebuilding really begins. And so we're hoping and planning that we'll be able to join in in some tangible ways. If you're interested in that, if you sense God calling you to help in that regard, I want to encourage you to get in touch with Pastor Chris Martinez. He's going to, to head up our, our efforts in this area, and we'll be sharing more details um, as more of these plans uh, come together in the weeks that are ahead. So lots of news, lots of exciting things. God is good, as we've just been singing, and he's doing a lot of great things uh, here in our church family. If your Bibles aren't already open to Acts chapter 2, I want to encourage you to do that now as we continue our series that we're calling Sent, about how God has sent us into the world. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 2, verses 1 through 21 today. And it's, it's no exaggeration to say that in Acts 2, uh, we come to one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. Now, Acts chapter 2 is about how history changes. And when you stop to think about it, there are many historical moments that come and sometimes they forever alter our lives. They change our world. Uh, for instance, uh, in recent decades, computers have completely changed the way that we live, right? Um, many of us never have known the day with those things that we used to use called typewriters, right? Some of you have never even seen a typewriter. You've heard of a typewriter, and you think they probably keep them in dusty museums somewhere. But like, um, I'm old enough where I went through high school and went through all of college. I went through part of grad school typing all my papers on a typewriter. And again, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, there also used to be this thing called whiteout. You ever heard of whiteout? Yeah, you can, you know, if, if you don't know what whiteout is, you can go to a museum and you can find some there. Or you can just talk to Pastor Jay because he's the only person that I know of in North America that still uses wide out if you'd like to see wide out firsthand you know so computers showed up and then we got printers that came along with the computers because we didn't have to type anymore but anybody remember the day when you had to tear off the sides and tear apart the sheets one at a time with the printers you know some of you are thinking now boy it used to be really hard living i mean it was difficult back in those days and maybe some of the more seasoned among us will tell the younger among us you have no idea how good you have it today what it used to be like and then, of course, today we have the Internet. I mean, can you remember life without the Internet? Can you remember life when, you know, you didn't have that opportunity to watch an endless supply of cat videos? I mean, how did we ever survive? And just in this last fall, of, of course, these recent weeks uh, with the announcement of the new iPhone, we've been reminded that smartphones have been with us just 10 years. And that's just one of those moments in change that has really altered our, our culture and our society in so many ways. There are studies coming out now that 
that are saying that we, we can see how smartphones are reshaping our minds even, the way we think, and that's not really great news in many regards, it, it turns out. Well, you just keep going further back. You can think about airplanes. You, you can think about cars. You can even think about electricity. What would it be like to have no electricity? We discovered that last week. And uh, it, it's just almost impossible sometimes to think about some of these moments, what it would have been like to live in a day uh, before we had some of the things that are so central to our life today. Now, I'm bringing all of these changes up to set them alongside the change we're about to study. And I want to say to you that all of those moments, even putting them all together, they pale in comparison to the significance of what happened in Acts chapter 2. In fact, um, I would assert that the five most important days in history are, number one, Christmas Day. Whenever that took place, the incarnation of God's own son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, uh, Good Friday, the day where Jesus was crucified. Third, Easter Sunday, the day of his resurrection. Number four, Jesus' ascension when he returned to heaven to rule uh, at the right hand of God. And then number five, the day of Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see, there is nothing that has ever happened that has changed the world more than what happened on the day of Pentecost. In fact, you could say the earth changed and the earth changed by wind and by fire. And yes, I did say that. Earth Wind and fire. I'm kind of proud of that title, so I just want to make sure you caught it because I wasn't sure some of you would have noticed. But uh, here's, here's the thing we're going to be talking about this morning. With the coming of God's Holy Spirit, we now live in a new age, a different age. And sometimes we take that for granted. Sometimes we don't realize what we have today. I want you to just write it down. It's a simple statement, but I want it to be in front of you. The coming of the Holy Spirit tells us that we live in a new era. And my goal today is that you would leave with a renewed appreciation for this age we live in, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and for all that he means to all of our lives. Now, let's remind ourselves where we've been. In Acts chapter 1, just by review, Jesus appears to his disciples many times. He gives them many convincing proofs of his resurrection. In Acts 1.8, he gives them their mission to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus ascends to heaven. The disciples see that. And then they return to Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus' command. Two weeks ago, we, we, we talked about how they waited for the promise of God. They were waiting in order to be sent. They gathered and, and they prayed and they listened deeply to God's word, completing the apostolic team by replacing Judas. And all that brings us to what we're going to see today, how everything changed, how everything changed and how God relates to his people and in how God works through his people. Now we're going to be in the second chapter of Acts for three weeks. And here's kind of a, an exegetical outline of this chapter. Verses 1 through 13, Luke describes what happened at Pentecost. And then in verses 14 through 41, Luke records Peter's sermon, which is explaining what happened at Pentecost, what it means. And then in the final verses, verses 42 to 47, uh, what Luke gives us is a description of the new way of life that Pentecost brings. This is what Acts 2 is telling us. And so this morning, we're going to look at, at what happened at the Pentecost event 
And then we're going to look at the very beginning of Peter's explanation of that, of that event, the beginning of his sermon. And we're going to do that with two questions, just two questions. The first one is what happened when the Holy Spirit arrived? Just we need to understand what took place. Now listen to the first four verses, Acts 2, 1 through 4. Luke writes, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So it's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a word that means 50. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks, and and Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, where the, the people of God would offer the first of their grain harvest to God as a sacrifice to him. Uh, Pentecost was one of the three great agricultural festivals that were held to celebrate God's goodness through the cycle of the seasons. And, and of course, it was also celebrated 50 days after Passover. It was also celebrated as a pilgrimage festival, which meant that there were Jews coming to Jerusalem from where they had been scattered all over the world. Luke says on this day that all of the disciples were together in one place. 120 people in one room. And in the midst of this room, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit descends. He he comes in a unique and a supernatural way. I want you to notice the three phenomena that Luke describes for us that tell us that the Holy Spirit has come and that a new age has dawned. First of all, there was a sound like a violent wind. Now, you need to understand, if you read it carefully, you'll see it's not a literal wind that they felt. A wind was not literally blowing. Luke is describing the sound. And in the Bible, we read the Old Testament, wind is often understood as a symbol for the Spirit. It's often understood as a a symbol for the creative breath of God. Second, he says there's something that looked like tongues of fire, what seemed to be, he writes, not, not literal fire again. Their, their hair wasn't on fire. It's a description of something. And once again, in the Old Testament, what we see is that God's presence is often seen as fire, like the burning bush where God spoke to Moses, and then later in the wilderness where God led his people uh, with a pillar of fire. Now, what these first two phenomena are about is this. This is the power of God and the presence of God. Notice that God is giving an auditory and a visual symbol of the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost. Don't miss that just a few years earlier at Christ's baptism, which was the beginning of his public ministry, God also gave an auditory and a visual symbol in his voice speaking from heaven, in the dove, which represented the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. In both cases, Jesus' baptism, Pentecost, God is telling us something new is here. Now, the third phenomenon we see is tongues. Verse 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, Many of you know that the tongues are very controversial, much debated topic today. Uh, This is going to come up again uh, in the book of Acts, so we won't cover everything today. But I do want to point out one thing. The tongues that are described here in Acts chapter 2 are are different from what Paul will later discuss in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. 
In Acts 2, tongues are known languages. That's what this is referring to. But in 1 Corinthians, uh, tongues refer to a private or unknown, uh, maybe heavenly language that some receive as a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a language that seems to be primarily used in prayer. And and Paul says if it's going to be used in worship, there are instructions to follow, and they're always to be followed. Only two or three are to speak in tongues, and they're each to speak in turn, not at the same time. And there's to be interpretation every time. And if there's not an interpretation, then the tongues are not to be spoken in public worship. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul calls this uh, uh, an angelic language. And and no one knows this language. It's sort of like no one knows what the fox says. And if that flew over your head, um, it's like an ancient mystery. No one knows what the fox says. Uh, You just need to Google it. Um, And I am not joking. It's really actually true. There's a video that's been watched over 699 million times. God help us all. Um, (laughs) Now, I want you to stay with me, okay? Because I'm just like connecting the timeless word of God to the times in which we now live. And the bottom line here in 1 Corinthians, it's an unknown language that needed interpretation. That is not what we are seeing here. You see it? In Acts 2, Luke makes it very clear. These are known languages, intelligible languages. The disciples who are speaking these languages, they don't know the languages, but the people who hear do. In Acts 2, tongues are not being directed to God, but they're being directed to the world, and they are declaring the works of God. Look what it says in verses 5 through 11. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, Who is this message being declared to? Verse 5 says, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Again, this is the diaspora, which is the the word that is used to describe the Jewish nation that's been scattered around the world. Jewish people scattered to every nation. They've returned to Jerusalem. Verse 11, Luke also refers to converts to Judaism. So these are Gentiles who have converted to the worship of the one true God. And this is what's significant. From Luke's vantage point in history, what he is describing here really is the nations of the world. It's just a roll call of the nations. As he gives it in verses 9 and 10, he starts in the east and he sweeps across to the west, from east to west, uh, around the Caspian Sea, Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Elamites would refer to the people of Iran today. Mesopotamia, that's Iraq today. And most likely, 
These are Jewish people who were taken away from uh, Israel hundreds of years earlier during the exile. They planted their lives there. They continue to live in these foreign countries. Uh, this is their home culture now. Now they've returned years later. He then moves to Asia Minor, which is what we would know today as the nation of Turkey, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. He has Judea here, probably referring to the region, including Syria, that surrounds that. He then moves west to northern Africa when he talks about Egypt and and parts of Libya. He crosses the Mediterranean Sea heading north to get to Rome. And then he talks about the Cretans and the Arabs. Those are kind of like add-ons thrown in at the end. But in other words, what we're seeing is that all the nations are gathered here. And probably all of these people not only spoke their language, they spoke Aramaic and Greek. Most of them were educated people in all likelihood, and they are hearing the disciples speaking, and this is the miracle. As the Spirit enabled them, they are hearing the disciples speak the message of God in their own native language, the language of the nation they had come from to Jerusalem. And then on top of that, like an even greater miracle, These disciples who are speaking are Galileans. Now, everyone would have understood Galileans would have generally been uneducated, kind of rural people, people like, you know, farmers and and fishermen. So this is an incredible miracle. To imagine it, the only thing I can really think of, it would have sort of been like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty speaking in perfectly accented formal French. That's the sort of thing that's going on here. And these people are all hearing them speak God's message in their language. By the way, Fox and Duck Dynasty in one sermon. I mean, just be amazed, okay? Now, when you, you remember Peter's denial of Jesus, maybe, you remember that one of the persons who challenged him said, no, you are one of those with him because I can hear in your speech, you're a Galilean. So in other words, uh, this is the kind of language, maybe it would be like what we would call a country drawl. Uh, Pentecost is just showing us this incredible picture of, of uneducated rural people speaking God's word in the cosmopolitan languages of the entire world. Now verse 12 asks the question that we are trying to answer today. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And verse 13 reminds us that we should never be surprised that there are cynics and mockers there. Whenever God is working, there will be skeptics wherever he is doing what he does. Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So what we're trying to do today is to see the meaning behind Pentecost. How is God changing earth? Now let's hear it straight from Peter's lips because that's what he's going to tell us beginning in verse 14. And this is our second question. What does the Holy Spirit's arrival mean for us today? Let me read verses 14 to 21. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Peter is telling us what Pentecost means here. And he's saying, he introduces this by saying that Pentecost is the fulfillment of a prophecy given hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Joel, a promise that God made. You can look it up. It's in Joel chapter 2, 28 to 32. And if you read those verses, you will see that Joel actually starts the prophecy out a little bit differently. Joel says, it shall come to pass afterward. But Peter says in verse 17, in the last days. Now don't miss this. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter is telling them and Peter is telling us that Pentecost means we have moved into a new era we have moved into the last days. Now, a lot of times people in our day get confused about the last days. We think the last days must just be about the last you know, few years before Jesus comes back. But actually, biblically speaking, the phrase the last days refers to the period of time. We don't know how long it will be from Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit all the way to the return of Jesus at his second coming. Biblically speaking, that's what the phrase, the last days, mean. And we are in these days. This is the significance of Pentecost. We have broken through into this new era, and it is not like the former days. In fact, you could put it this way. Pentecost means that God now relates to his people in a new way, through a new covenant. God has sent the Holy Spirit to signal the arrival of this new covenant between him and his people. Now, one of the ways we know this, and one of the things I just want you to see, uh, is there's these incredible connections between Pentecost and things that happened earlier. I've already alluded to some of them, but I want to show you something that's just amazing. This con there's a connection between Pentecost and the giving of God's law at Mount Sinai. And you may have read this, but maybe you don't know. In this time, this first century uh, in Judea, the Jewish people believed that the Mount Sinai event, giving of the law, happened 50 days after the Passover event. So let me, let me just show you this. I'm going to give you a little chart here. This is what happened <clears throat> at Mount Sinai, the whole period of time. First of all, it started where God delivers Israel out of Egypt. The Passover lamb sacrifice is made. The blood is put on the doorpost. Then God takes his people, miraculously delivers them through the parting of the Red Sea. God's people are redeemed. That's what the Exodus is about. They have been set free from slavery in Egypt. They then travel 40 days in the wilderness to get to Mount Sinai. And when they get there, Moses ascends the mountain. He goes up. And while he's there, he's up 10 days. 10 days later, he comes down with the law. And while this is all going on, there's all these signs and wonders. There's, there's a smoke and fire and cloud. It's just this amazing time. And out of this experience, the nation of Israel is born. But when Moses comes down, he discovers that the nation of Israel, while he's been with God, have been doing something. You remember what they were doing? 
They were worshiping the golden calf. They were, they were disobeying God's first command to them. And, and God's judgment comes on the people. And 3,000 people died. I mean, it's just an incredible thing. Now, here's what happens at Pentecost. Look at this. Jesus dies on the cross. He is the true Passover lamb. He's raised again from the dead by his father, and he spends 40 days with the disciples. After the 40 days, he ascends to heaven, and he sends his disciples back to Jerusalem to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Ten days later, Holy Spirit comes down. There are signs and wonders, wind, fire, tongues. The church is born And as we're going to see next week, you better come back for the conclusion of Peter's sermon. We're going to see 3,000 people at the end of Pentecost. They don't die. They get saved. Amen? Amen. Can you see this incredible connection? It's this new era. God's sending all these signals and signs for people who will pay attention to see and understand. He's changing everything. And we need to understand it's precisely Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension that ushers in this new kingdom age through the Holy Spirit. These events are so crucial to everything. And it's the reason why John the Baptist said, I will baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, greater than I, is coming. And he's referring to Jesus, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, both John the Baptist and Peter understood what was happening here. Jesus has ascended to God's right hand, and Jesus is now himself baptizing his people with the Holy Spirit. Look ahead to verse 33. We'll talk more about it next week, but verse 33 says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he, and that's Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus is the one pouring out the Holy Spirit on his people. Now, this is the reason why, as we're going to see next week, Peter's going to devote the rest of his sermon, verses 22 to 41, to declaring the person and work of Jesus. Now, I need to take a a couple of moments to address a question that gets asked quite often about Pentecost. And the question is is this. Is this Pentecost experience a, a pattern for our lives today? Now, some of you know this because you grew up in churches that would answer that question in the affirmative. Some of you have heard about this. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about. But here's here's the situation. Some people believe this experience of the disciples at Pentecost is a normative event that all Christ followers must experience in the same way. Some uh, people believe that there's a day when you come to faith in Christ where you are born again, and then there will be a day later on, sometimes subsequent, where you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, where you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. This is what we believe as a church. This is what I believe as your pastor. I I believe that the biblical evidence doesn't tell us that. The overwhelming weight of Scripture declares that all believers receive the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion. In fact, we even see it later in in this chapter. Verse 38, Peter says that he puts baptism and the baptism in the Spirit together. He's not saying this is going to happen later. He says you repent and you believe and this will happen. 
There are also even more explicit scriptures. You can go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Paul puts it like this. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. So we're baptizing the spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. In other words, the moment you were baptized into one body, that moment is when you enter the family of God, the church, when you become a believer. It's the same moment you're baptized into the spirit, in the spirit. Paul puts them together. In Ephesians 1, maybe the most explicit example of this, verses 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. In other words, when that happened, you heard and you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, Pentecost was a significant time of transition. And that's the key word, transition in the whole history of redemption. A new day is being ushered in here where God is going to work uh, heretofore, subsequent to this, in a new way. It, it was not meant to be a repeatable event that will take place in the life of every subsequent believer. Now, some may be wondering about the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's a separate issue. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, let me give you a quote from uh, a man named Wayne Grudem, a, a theologian. I, I got to study with him in my doctoral work, and he's got uh, an immense volume called Systematic Theology. It's a great, a great book. Uh, I would recommend it to everyone. And this is what he says. And, and by the way, you need to know that he is not unsympathetic uh, to charismatic uh, teachings. Um, and so he's not attacking charismatic ideas. But he writes this, what happened to the disciples at Pentecost? They received this remarkable new empowering from the Holy Spirit because they were living at the time of the transition between the old covenant work of the Holy Spirit and the new covenant work of the Holy Spirit. Though it was a, quote, second experience of the Holy Spirit coming as it did long after their conversion, it is not to be taken as a pattern for us, for we are not living in a time of transition in the work of the Holy Spirit. In their case, believers with an old covenant empowering of the Holy Spirit became believers with a new covenant empowering from the Holy Spirit. But we today do not first become believers with a weaker old covenant work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and then wait until sometime later to receive a new covenant work of the Holy Spirit. Rather, we are in the same position as those who became Christians in the church at Corinth. When we become Christians, we are all baptized in one spirit into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, just as the Corinthians were, and just as were the new believers in many churches who were converted when Paul traveled on his missionary journeys. Let me give you his conclusion. I'll put it on the screen. What shall we say about the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit? It is a phrase that the New Testament authors use to speak of coming into the new covenant power of the Holy Spirit. It happened at Pentecost for the disciples, but it happened at conversion for the Corinthians and for us. It is not a phrase the New Testament authors would use to speak of any post-conversion experience of empowering by the Holy Spirit. 
Now you ask, well, why did they experience it this way? Well, they were walking through this time of transition. We're already through that time of transition. We are in the last days. We are in the new day, uh, the new era. We've already, this Holy Spirit has already come. He is already here. And so we receive the Holy Spirit when we receive Christ. And so what we need to get is that it is a new age. And what I want you to understand is if some were magically transported, you know, time travel from the old covenant era into our day and saw what we had right now, do you know what they would say to us? They would look at us and they would say, wow, you have no idea what you have. You have no idea what you have now. It is new. It is different. It is better That's what we are meant to understand from Pentecost. You say, well, how is it new and how is it different? Let me give you three things, and I'll close with these. Three things we see, and they all tie back to the phenomena that we see, the signs. Number one, God's presence is now with us in a new, more powerful way. Now, again, we've talked how the presence of God is seen in the Bible in wind and fire. We saw it at the coming of the Old Covenant at Sinai. We see it at Pentecost. New Covenant comes. And I want to be clear, uh, don't think that the Holy Spirit didn't exist in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is present throughout the Old Testament. He hovered over the waters at creation. He empowered prophets to proclaim the word of God. But now at Pentecost, with the dawn, the coming of this new age, he is here in a new way. And by the way, uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, Do not make the mistake, as some groups do, of referring to him as a power or an it. Holy Spirit, he is the only appropriate biblical way to talk about him. He has come. And what does it mean, his presence, God's presence in the Holy Spirit? Number one, it's personal. God's presence is now personal. God's presence is now for every individual believer. We see that in verses 17 and 18. Uh, Peter describes how the Spirit is poured out on all people, irrespective of gender or age or social class. If you go back to verse 3, it says that the tongues of fire rested on each one of them. It's personal, individual. And by contrast, in the Old Testament, the Spirit only came to a select few people and for specific purposes to give power for ministry. We live in a new day. I'll give you one comparison. This is Numbers chapter 11. And again, you can read that on your own to get the whole context. But Moses is experiencing this heavyweight burden of of leading God's people. And God tells him to gather 70 men to help him. And he comes down, God does, and he puts his spirit on these men to bear the burden alongside Moses. And they receive God's spirit and they begin prophesying. But it's kind of interesting. Evidently, for some reason, two of these guys... Uh, great names in case, you know, you're going to have a kid anytime soon. Eldad and Medad, you might want to write that down. Um, and, and also, the Bible doesn't talk too much about their siblings, Shedad and Wedad. Uh, I just made that up. That's not really true. But Eldad and Medad don't go to the tent of meeting. They, had, for some reason, stayed in the camp, but they're prophesying because the Spirit came. And so someone runs back to Moses and says, These men are prophesying in the camp. Make them stop. And Moses responds and he says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all God's people be prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on everyone. See, that day that Moses was longing for when it wasn't just him and it wasn't just a select few, that day we now know it's here. 
you walk and you live in that age, in that era today because of what happened at Pentecost, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is with you now. See, this also is a way of describing another important doctrine, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. You know, every follower of Christ, the Bible says, is a priest. Every follower of Christ is a saint. There, there aren't special categories. We all have the Spirit. And again, you can contrast that with the Old Covenant where like only Moses could go and meet in the tabernacle face to face with God. And then after Moses, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year and meet with God and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But then, but then Jesus comes and a new day is born because with Jesus, we now have the very presence of God in bodily form. In Colossians, Paul's going to write a few years after this that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus. It's amazing. Then Jesus dies, and then God raises his son from the dead, and and then the Holy Spirit comes. Are are you with me? And now Christ's followers, now we are told that, that we are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. Amen? The Holy Spirit resides within you, and that ought to blow you away. And if you're like stifling a yawn, because this seems kind of like, oh, well, whatever, you're not listening. You're not hearing what God is saying. God's presence is now personal. But it's not only that, it's also permanent. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was given for a specific task, a specific purpose, and even that equipping could be lost, like with the story of King Saul but not for us today. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now comes. He enters the lives of all believers at conversion, never to leave again. See, that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1, sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's with you. He will never leave. We have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. It's personal. It's permanent. That's the point. And again, someone from the old covenant, if they were to show up, they would say to us, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea what you have? I mean, just think about the the tent of meeting, the the tabernacle. Moses would go there, and the the pillar of cloud would come on the tent. You remember, you ever read this? And everyone else would come out of their tents to watch. I mean, it must have been amazing when you, you know that the presence of God has come down into a specific place and they're all watching and they fall on their face and they worship God and inside that tent Moses is talking to God face to face as a friend with a friend can you imagine telling one of those people on the outside watching the tent where Moses says that one day a day is coming when you could walk right into the presence of God anybody because of Jesus because of the Holy Spirit They would have given up anything for that. See, today we have this access to God's presence anytime, anywhere. The very moment we call on him, and sometimes we're so casual. Sometimes we act like it's no big deal if we only knew what we have. The second thing is that God's power is now with us in a new and more powerful way. Now, really, this is much the same as God's presence. God's power is with us personally. We all have it. God's power is with us permanently. We're going to see many examples of what that power means in the weeks ahead. But I want to just say one thing about this. 
If you go back to Acts 1.8, where it talks about God's power coming, I want you to notice that the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit's power, the primary purpose is not to make your life better. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit's coming and his power in your life is not to resolve your problems. And it is very easy for us. Many people who live today think that the reason I go to church, the reason I listen to sermons, the reason I do worship and all the other stuff is so God can fix my problems and make my life better. Now, I believe God does address our problems. I believe God does make our lives better, although many times not in the way we would like. But I just want you to know that's not the primary purpose for the Holy Spirit's coming. The primary purpose the Holy Spirit has come is that God has given power so that we can tell others of his mighty works, so that we can declare his wonders. In fact, write it down like this. God gives us his presence and power in the Holy Spirit so that we can declare his mighty works to everyone. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. That's why you have his power. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 11 tell us that the disciples began to speak with these other tongues and the people heard and understood in their own native language. And the the purpose, what we see happening at Pentecost is that they were declaring God's mighty works. See, we see another progression here that goes back to something and connects with something in the past. In the Gospel of John, at the beginning, John the Baptist has come and he's baptizing and he's calling people to repentance for the kingdom of God, he says, is at hand. And he baptizes Jesus and the Spirit descends. And Jesus now has the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, God's Son, is filled with God's Holy Spirit to go and accomplish his mission, which is ultimately to die on the cross and then to be raised again. The same thing, you see it is happening here. At Pentecost, Jesus is now the one baptizing. And Jesus baptizes disciples with the Holy Spirit, just as John prophesied. And now they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? For their mission, to go and proclaim the gospel, to be sent. That's the reason. See, what we see here at Pentecost is really the beginning of the fulfillment of what Jesus commissioned his people to do. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and ultimately to the ends of the earth. What do we have here? Well, it's just an amazing thing when you you put this all together. What we have here at the beginning of the fulfillment of the Great Commission is that God in his mercy and grace has brought to his people the ends of the earth. Do you see that? The disciples are reclaiming the mighty works of God to all these people in all these nations all on the very first day that this whole project is getting launched. It's incredible. Now, represents two things, and I'm going to close with this. We're going to talk about this first one more later, but I want you to understand it, and I want you to hear this today. I want you to begin pondering it today. If you read the account carefully, you will notice that the message of the gospel, the declaration of God's mighty works and wonders, that message goes out in every tongue at the same time. No language hears it first. They all hear it at the same time. And this tells us something very powerful and so crucial for where we live here in our nation today, 2017. 
This tells us that God comes to every nation and every culture and every language on equal footing. It tells us that every culture stands before the cross and before the gospel in the same place. It tells us there is no place for any people or any culture to say they are superior to some other. Second, we see that there is a shift in the way the mission goes out. The message is carried out. Because in the old covenant, it was come and see God, come to Jerusalem, come to the temple. But now with the indwelling of the spirit, do you see? It's a go and tell mission. It's a we are sent mission. We see this in a number of different places in the um, Old Testament. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach where? To the end of the earth. Now, I have to tell you, uh, this next thing gets me kind of geeked up. And you may think it's kind of weird, but I'm a pastor, so I'm weird by definition. I know. Uh, But what is also going on here, and this is connections back to other things that they would have recognized What is so significant at Pentecost is you now have the presence and the power of God to be witnesses. What you see here is a reversal of the curse of Babel. And you also see a foreshadowing of where God is taking everything. What God promises will one day be true for all of us for an eternity in heaven. Go back to Genesis and read the story of Babel. At this time, early in creation, everybody speaks the same language and people get together and they decide to build a tower and their reasons are are very self-centered. They want to make a name for ourselves. Their reasons are ultimately evil so that we can be gods. And God comes down and God destroys their plan by confusing their languages. It's a curse. He scatters them everywhere. And just think of all the evil. Just think of all the violence. Just think of all the terrible things that have happened for millennia now because we don't understand each other, because we speak different languages. What is happening here at Pentecost? We see all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples and tongues not being scattered now, but coming and being gathered at Jerusalem. Not people building a tower up to God, but God himself descending on man through the Holy Spirit. That is so good. That is so good. It changes everything. They're not confused anymore. By the Holy Spirit's power, they utter languages that others can understand. The mighty works of God go out, not for them to make a name for themselves, but so that their lives can give praise and glory to God. It is the reversal of Babel. And we are now called in their wake to go and to take this message to all peoples. That, friends, is the utter uniqueness of this new age, that the door is now wide open to everyone. All can enter the new covenant. All can come in to God's kingdom. All can become a part of the people of God. And I want to tell you something. I don't have time to go into the specifics, but there's no other religious faith on earth like that. Christianity is unique. And we are called to go out and take that message as Jesus witnesses and to share it until the day he returns. Are you ready for the foreshadowing? It's in Revelation. It's chapter 7. It's verses 9 through 10. It says, After this I looked, 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it's telling us here, in heaven for all eternity, all nations will worship. Every tribe, every people, every language. And it begins here, Acts 2, Pentecost. And we are all called to go out and proclaim this message. And everyone is called to go. There are no exceptions. If you know Jesus, God has given you his Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you are empowered to go. You are empowered to tell. You are commanded to go. You are commanded to tell. I want to close our time with the very end of Joel's prophecy, the very last verse we read this morning. It's a new day, new presence of God, new power, and we have a new proclamation to make. It's in verse 21, and it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the new covenant. Anyone who calls and that includes you, anyone can be saved. This is the message that God commands us as his people, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. He calls us, he sends us to tell. And this is the challenge today. Are are you going? Are you telling? Are you declaring the mighty works and the wonders of God? All who call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Father God, uh, we come before you through the empowering of the Holy Spirit because of the sacrifice of your Son. And we bring our prayers, we bring our requests We lay them at your feet, Father. And Lord, we are just overwhelmed and so grateful and thankful that you would love us in spite of our sin, that you would come down to us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would send your Holy Spirit to be with us forever and give us strength forever. Lord, help us to live today and into this next week and into the future in amazement and in awe over what you've done, what Pentecost means, how it has changed us, changed this world forever. Help us, Father, to be faithful, to tell others about your mighty works, your wonders, the wonders you have done. And Lord, may many people, men and women, boys and girls, May many come to know Jesus, your son, as we are faithful to share what you've done in our lives, as we are faithful to share the gospel. Father, we bring these things before you now. We ask them all in the name of Jesus, your son, our Savior, and all God's people together said, Amen. Amen.